So let's jump in this morning. Um, I'm going to take you guys on an eight-week journey starting today. Boom, all right? And so I'm hoping that you can make as many of these Sundays between now and October 28th. That's eight weeks from today is October 28th, and we'll kind of switch gears on that date. But, but for the next eight weeks, I'm going to take us on, a, a, on the best I can on a, on a spiritual journey where we focus on three specific things. I want to focus on three words, or kind of, yeah, I guess I'll say three words. I want to focus on connect, serve, and grow. Over the next eight weeks, I'm going to do the best I can to present to you opportunities and inspire you on why it's important for you to connect, serve, and grow. I want to define those for you on how I mean them, okay? So we have a working definition. Connect, I want you to have church friends. My whole spiritual journey back when I was 19, what sustained it early on was my relationship with my church friends. I had people who I had developed a relationship with at Southside Community Church. They became my buddies, and we did ministry together. We did life together, but they were the ones that kind of, on those days when I felt like, man, I don't know if I want to go to church today, or there was other things taking place. No, my church friends were expecting me to be there. And so I'm hoping that over the next eight weeks, uh, we like Wednesday night, we had our first experience in God. It was introduction. I know some of you were out of town. But if you are a part of that Experiencing God class, uh, we're going to be talking about Unit 1 this week. And so whether you're coming to the lunchtime portion or you're doing the evening portion, we're going to discuss Unit 1. So if you have your book, make sure you do those. But there were 37 people in the room Wednesday night. That's a huge win, right? 37 folks. You can clap for that. What I loved about that group, I would say a lot of those have opportunities to make church friends that takes New City being uh, more of a place that they go to church. I mean, this is my church. It's where I belong. Like, I want to see you have church friends. How about the serve piece? I define serve in just this simple statement. Joining a ministry to make New City better. Just joining a ministry team that will make New City better. On Sunday mornings, there's three areas for you to get involved in, and really only three, and we do this on purpose. You can serve in our family ministry. Two weeks ago when we talked about this, we had 50 brand-new leaders step up and to serve in our family ministry. That is fantastic. Way to go, church, right? But outside of, some of you are like, Matt, that was a really good speech you gave that day, but I just want my, my style, right? I want my jam. Is that how you say that? I'm not cool, right? But um, So we also have our worship arts, which is our tech ministry, our band, our vocalists, the things that you see and experience. Like That's a way for you to serve on Sunday morning is through the worship arts team. And the third, the third portion is our first impressions, how you are greeted, how you are uh, uh, seated, how you, just people to help answer your questions, our cafe that serves you those awesome donuts and that great coffee. Just there, there are three areas, family ministry, worship arts, and first impressions that you can go one and serve them. We do two services. And so you're going to hear me talk a lot about using the gift and talents that God has given you to simply make this church better so that when your friend comes in for the first time, They are greeted, they are cared for, and they go back going, wow, you know what, that was a really good experience today. Outside of Matt Miller, it was all pretty good, right? And I'm going to do my part not to embarrass your friends. How's that? And finally, this grow piece. And this is one that I'm honestly the most passionate about, and rightfully so, but this is how we take your next spiritual step. Over the next eight weeks, I'm going to give you opportunity after opportunity for you to take your next spiritual step. There is not a person in this room who has arrived like, we're all on our, on our spiritual journey, myself included. Everybody is still learning. God, uh, God continually, continues to reveal himself uh, to us in a lot of unique, fun ways. Not only has not everyone arrived, there's no one in this room who can't begin the journey. I, I, don't, I don't know what your yesterday looked like. I don't know what you did six months ago. But you know what, I man? God is the one who can handle your past. And he is a constant invitation for you to follow him. 
Will you just come and see what he's about? And so nobody's arrived, and nobody's too bad that they can't start. Man, you're all welcome on this journey. So we're going to talk about connect, serve, and grow. But here's the kicker, okay? So we're going to kind of begin this today. Uh, the fun thing about these three goals is each of these happen in the context of relationship. Okay? You can't do any three of those in isolation. Like, it's impossible for you to connect, make church friends, and serve, making your church family better, and not encounter other human beings. Like, you're going to have to serve along somebody. And if you're like, well, I don't like people, well, those two are going to be really hard for you, right? And also, on the grow piece, take your next spiritual step, you can't do that outside of relationship with God. So if you're like, well, I'm just going to learn more about the Bible. I'm going to memorize Scripture, I'm going, to, uh, I'm going to identify what certain churchy words are. Good for you. That's called knowledge. It's not called relationship. And so over the next eight weeks, man, we're going to lean in on how we do relationships with each other. Now, how I'm going to do this is I want to share with you some fun stories. Fun stories. I want, I want to make you laugh a little bit, um, but I want to make you think a little bit. But when I say fun, I don't necessarily mean funny, right? Like, I, I'm, like if you've never met me before... That's my wife. I'll be one of the funniest people you've ever met, right? Um, but I'm not going to tell you uh, funny stories and scriptures. I wrote it like this. Um, when I say funny, I'm not actually talking about telling jokes. When I say eight funny stories, I'm referring to stories found in the Bible where someone hears something from God in the context of a relationship and then says this, real funny, God, ain't no way. Right? Like the Bible is full of these times where God speaks to somebody and their response almost always, forever, always is, real funny, ain't no way. Now, that, you won't find that exact phrase in the Bible. That's like the Matthew Miller version, right? Um, but God says these funny statements, not ha-ha funny, but something where the person goes, man, there's just no, no way, God, no way. Some of you are in this room right now, and it's a funny story. Because last week you would have been, ha-ha, real funny, God, ain't no way I'm going to church on Sunday morning. But yet here you are. Or maybe that was your story months ago. Now, before I share this first funny story, I've got to give you some context. And so there's, there's four pieces of this context for us to better understand uh, these funny stories. So if you have your bulletin, I don't think you have like these fill-in-the-blanks, but I want you to take some notes because this is really going to be the foundation that we build on over the next several weeks. And the four foundations, I want to start with this one. Um, Every conversation, every funny conversation that you find in the Bible happens in the context of a relationship. What I mean by this is Jesus doesn't walk down the street shouting at people. Like if you're looking for some drive-by gospel, some drive-by commands, where Jesus just kind of walks by your life and shouts something at you and then keeps heading on his way and you do your thing and he does his, you're going to have a hard time finding that in the Bible. God establishes these funny moments, these funny stories in the context of a relationship. God talks to people over and over and over. So here's the thing, the more time you spend with God, because some of you are here and you're like, man, I just want to hear more from God. I want to hear, um, I, I hear God's voice, or I want to have a deeper understanding of what God is trying to do in my life. Whatever your question is that you're asking God of, your best opportunity to discover what that might be is in the context of relationship. It's in the context of sitting, it's, it's relationship building one-on-one, church. It's, if, I, if you want under, more understanding of God, then you have to give more time to God. Now, here's the, here's the kicker, though, right? The second thing. So every funny story in the Scripture is based on a relationship, but here's the thing that's, that messes with Christians, messes with us church folk. We view, sitting, when I say sitting with Jesus, spending time with God, reading your Bible, whatever the spiritual statement is, when I say those things, most of us don't go, yes, I get to spend time with the Lord, 
we go, oh, man, one more thing to do. We, oh, man, i got to do that. And we, we, we view prayer, we view sitting with Jesus, we view reading our Bible as this chore, as this burden, not something that we look forward to. And the reason for that in our life, and this is just kind of like, we could talk around it all day long, but the reason is, is because God is not the priority in your life. It's something that you have to do. When God becomes a priority, the sitting with him, the reading about him, the learning more from him is not a chore. It's a, I get to, not I, I have to. Like, my wife was sitting on the front row because she is the priority in my life. Spending time with her is not a chore. It's a, I get to spend time with my wife, Jen. I don't have to because she's a priority. I give her a certain position in my life that no one else gets. My children have a position in my life that not everyone gets. Therefore, when I, I don't have to spend time with my kids. I get to spend time with my kids. The relationship that God has, he has the utmost position in my life. I want to love God with everything that I have and love my neighbor as myself. And because I give him that position, when I have the opportunity to open my Bible, it's not a chore, it's a get-to because I expect to meet him there. I expect him to meet me here. And so if I were to kind of put these two quickly in order, it would be like this. God wants to be the biggest part of your life. God has zero... Some of you need to hear this because you have let someone, even maybe your own philosophy, water down the gospel. God has zero desire to play second fiddle to anything in your life. He is a jealous God. He wants to be numero uno in you. And he, he will fight for that position. Like, he, he wants, like, I can't love my wife, Jen, the way that God would have me to if she is before my relationship with God. I can't love, I can't be the father. I can't be the friend if I take anything and put it in place in my relationship with God. And so God wants, desires, expects, deserves to be the biggest part of your life. Number two, number two, God reveals what he is doing through a personal relationship. So God wants to be the biggest part. And when he is a priority and you don't like go, oh my gosh, I got to have quiet time again today. Oh my gosh, this experience in God book is so long. long. What? You want me to read my Bible every day? You want me to go to church how often? No, man, you get to. It's a priority. And from that, God reveals what he is doing through the personal relationship. Now, um, I, had, I had this written down, and I think it's uh, really important. Okay? Um, but there's two other things, because I've got to build into this a little bit. There are two more truths that follow these. Third one is this. Okay, so God wants the biggest part. And then it's on our personal relationship. Number three is this. When God reveals his plan to you, you will think real funny, ain't no way, which you've heard me say, right? But this is what happens. Like, God can't give you a, a statement that makes you laugh when you're not in relationship with him. And so this is kind of where I, I wanted to kind of begin you to scratch your head and scratch your heart and go, okay, what might God be saying to me today? Is that maybe the reason that your faith has grown weak and tired is because God's not a priority and you're not spending time with him. And I promise you, based on Scripture, that when we do that, God begins to get big and loud in your life. God begins to get big and loud in your life. And when God begins to get big and loud in your life, he begins to say things to you that make you laugh and say, God, that's crazy, ain't no way. It's just not going to happen. We have to do it in the context of relationship. Here, here is why we don't sometimes. Sin separates you from the want to of the Father. Here's what I mean by this. 
when, when we have active sin in our life, it defeats you emotionally and it defeats you spiritually where it's like, man, I can't go talk to God because I, I did these things, right? And so whether you have a pornography problem, whether you have a problem where you lie, cheat, and steal, whatever it is in your head and heart that keeps you feeling negative about who you are in Christ, here is how you defeat that thing. You just get Jesus more in your life. Listen, the more time you give to God, the less time you have to give to sin. Did you know this? The more time that you give to God, the less time that you have the space in your life to sin. I mean, this is just simple like time management. Like instead of looking at pornography, read your Bible. What? Here's why you don't. Because you have a higher priority of pornography in your life and being selfish with what you want to do than being loyal to the man that you said died for your sins. Oh, Matt, that's too hard. No, it's reality. Let me define it for you. The bigger Jesus gets in our life, the less space there is in your life for sin to be present. You got a lying problem? Spend more time with... Here, uh, here's what Jesus does. I, I, I'm not a huge basketball fan, but I kind of get the idea. All right? Imagine you're as tall as Zach Coe here. Zach, how tall are you? Six, seven, that's what I was going to say, right? He's tall. I'm five, nine. He's way taller than me, right? <laughs> Just so you guys know, if I had Zach Coe's physique, if I was six, seven, I wouldn't be here today. You would see me on Monday Night Raw. Uh, I, would be, I would be a WWE superstar. Uh, my gimmick would be the chaplain, and I would walk around blessing people all day long, right? I've thought this through. I've thought this through. Jen's like, oh, my gosh, right? But God is wiser than me. That's why he made me 5'9 and chubby, because I'm not going to do that, right? If you're the basketball center on your team who is 6'7", and that ball comes off the rim and you're going up for the rebound, this is what Jesus does. He grabs that ball and he hits the court floor and his elbows swing out and he starts swinging. See, in our life, Jesus wants to have the space. He wants to be the priority. And sometimes he has to get in the middle of your heart, in the middle of your thinking, and he has to start swinging those elbows and making room. Jesus wants and is willing to fight for you. But you've got to give him the space. You have to give him the space so that he can fight for you. And when when he fights for us, right, when he fights for us and when he fights for you, all of a sudden he begins to speak into your life on what he sees for you, what he sees in you, what he wants to do through you, right? What God wants to do in broken messed up you happens in the relationship of, uh, happens in the context of relationship and when he reveals that to you you're going to say man god that, that, no way it can never happen it can never happen and then finally fourth is this over and over in scripture after somebody's laughs we typically see them being obedient and though we laugh god delivers so after you laugh and say god ain't no way it's really important that what you do next is you step into the funny Right, that you step into what the thing that God has asked you to do and see what God might do next. Now, I want to share with you our first funny story this morning, and it's found in Genesis chapter 17, okay? And this is the story about a really old man and a really old woman named Abram and Sarah. And in this story, uh, God is going to change their names to Abraham and Sarah, and he's going to make them a promise. And so let's start in Genesis chapter 17, verse 1, and here's what we find. When Abram was 99, you read that correctly, 99 years old, we have two, uh, our Loma Vista campus, which we're going to launch in January the 13th, we have two members of our Loma Vista campus that are 103 years old. 206 combined years. That's a lot. That's a lot. They're old. 
right? They're old people. Not married, but they're on this. It's crazy. Like, I, I've never met a 103-year-old person before. It's pretty cool. His, one of them's name is Joe. And if there's ever been an evangelist, it's Joe. I'm just telling you, man, he wants to talk about Jesus all the time. Now, he can't hear you. Okay. When Abram <laughs> was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him saying, I am God Almighty, live in my presence and be blameless. Now, you're going to see what I just talked about in this story, right? Notice the context of how this conversation that you're about to see comes to be. It happens in the context of a relationship. It wasn't a drive-by conversation. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him, right, saying, I am God Almighty. He identifies who he is, and he invites Abraham into a relationship, and he says, Abram, I want you to live in my presence and be what? Be blameless. Abram, I want you to live in my presence. I want you to stay with me. Abram, I don't want you to leave. Guys, look for parallel uh, uh, lessons in your life. God invites us to live in his presence and to be blameless. So Matt, are you saying that if I'm in God's presence, then it's on me to be blameless? Nope, not at all. Oh, so you're saying that if I'm in God's presence, I can do whatever I want, and it's okay? No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying this, that when you are in God's presence, when you choose to be a person who puts themselves, then that, that you live in the presence of God, like that's where you're going to choose to stay, God makes you blameless. Because in the presence of God, you will not lie. In the presence of God, you're not looking at things that you shouldn't look at. Because anytime you choose sin, you step out of that presence of God, you step out of that context of relationship, and you begin to pursue the things that are about you and about your own selfish kingdom instead of the things of the Lord. And what Jesus is inviting Abraham into right here is he's like, I want to do life with you, and as long as you do life with me, you will be blameless. The Lord's Prayer, it's not on the screen, it's just now coming to my head. What, how does it end? And lead me not into temptation but deliver me from evil. What's being implied? That when Jesus is our leader, he's not going to lead us into temptation. Like if you're tired of being tempted, walk with Jesus. If you're tired of screwing up, walk with Jesus. Well, Matt, is this like, okay, you gave the Lord's Prayer, but is there other instances in Scripture where this is explained? Yeah, I have one here for you, one that I thought of this week. Look with me in 1 John. Uh, This is not the Gospel of John. This is the letter that John wrote three letters in the back of your New Testament. This is the first one. Look at John chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him. Him could be capitalized, him being Jesus. This is the message we have heard from Jesus and declare to you. God is light, and there is absolutely no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him, and yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and are not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. In relationship with Jesus, there is power. Jesus gives a parable or a teaching about a mighty man. And it takes a mighty man who's able to walk into the house and set all the captives free and take the bad things and and, and captivate those, right? Put them in chains. Jesus is the mighty man. The thing that you haven't been able to overcome, the thing that you haven't been able to walk through, the thing that you haven't been able to accomplish in your life, the thing that has kept keeping you down and causing you to stumble, and you've tried everything. Right? That mighty man is Jesus, the good shepherd. And when we are in relationship with him, he will not lead you to get high. He will not lead you to put a needle in your arm. You're not going to be having a quiet time with him, sitting with him, reading your word, praying, and be led to do something stupid. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. Your flesh, this stuff right here, 
is so selfish and it's so demanding that it puts up a fight and whispers this thing in your ear and sometimes screams it at you. You need blank. And your flesh tries to pull you in the direction that honestly your body wants to go. And that's where you have to submit your flesh to the cross of Jesus, where that's where the lordship piece comes in. Yes, he's my savior, and because of Jesus' blood on the cross, I get the opportunity to be with him forever in eternity. But he's also my lord, which means he's the boss of my life. And yeah, my body and my flesh is screaming, Matt, do this, Matt, say this, Matt, go here, Matt, think these things. But my lord says, no, no, no. In relationship with me, Matt, we do things different. Guys, in the context of a relationship with Jesus, and you can be blameless. Standing off in the other room, watching what Jesus is doing in other people's lives, it's not the same thing. It's not about increased knowledge. It's not about reading the next book. It's not about the next memory verse to memorize. It's about saying that, man, the Lord knows my name, and I know he knows my name, and I'm in relationship with him. Now, here we go. And I gave you this to you earlier, but the more time you give to God, the less time you have for sin. Let's see what happens next in, in Abraham's life. So God invites him in to live in his presence, and he invites him to, um, he invites him to be blameless. And then in, in Genesis 17, a little bit further on, here is where God makes a promise and see if you can catch Abraham's uh, reaction. God said to Abraham, As for your wife, Sarah, do not call her Sarah, for Sarah will be her name. I will bless her indeed. I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she will produce nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Abram fell face down, kind of rolling on the floor laughter. Uh, He fell face down. Then he laughed and said to himself, Can a child be born to a 100-year-old man? Can Sarah, a 99-year-old woman, give birth? And when he finished talking with him, God withdrew from Abraham. Now, this is a funny story. Maybe a little gross, right? Let that play out in your mind a little bit, right? Right? But God lets Abraham have his laugh. He does. God lets Abraham have his laugh. But Abraham responds with this funny statement. Hey, I've got a 99-year-old and a 90-year-old. And he looks at him and he says, hey, you know what? You two, you're going to have a baby. And Abraham says, real funny, God. Ain't no way. Right? She's uh, 90 years old. I'm, it's just, and Jesus, Jesus leaves, right? Now, if you read in your Bible, you go to the next chapter, chapter 18 of Genesis. Jesus visits again. And this time he's got two people with him, and he's on his way to Sodom and Gomorrah. But he stops and he has lunch with Abraham. And this is where we pick up in verse 9 through 15. Jesus says to Abraham, Where is your wife, Sarah? They're in the tent, Abraham answered. The Lord said, I will certainly come back to you in about a year's time, and your wife, Sarah, will have a son. Now, Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent behind him. Abraham and Sarah were old and getting on in years. Such had, uh, Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. And we all go, well, yeah, duh, she's 90 years old, right? So, so she hears this through the tent, and what does she do? She laughed to herself, and she laughs this, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, will I have delight? Real funny, God. Kind of like, like almost hurtful. You're going you're gonna to dangle that carrot in front of my face now, that something I've wanted my entire life. And here I am, this old woman, and he's old, and I'm old, and now you're going to tell me that I'm going to have the delight that I've always wanted. Real, real funny. Verse 13, but the Lord asked Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, can I really have a baby when I'm old? Is anything impossible for the Lord? Somebody say amen. Is anything impossible for the Lord? That dream that God has put in your heart, that you say, yeah, real funny. 
That, that reconciliation that God has put on your mind, and you go, yeah, real funny, never going to happen. That job, that, that career, that whatever it might be that you've been praying for for so long, that you go, yeah, no way, ain't going to happen. Jesus says to us, is anything impossible for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will come back to you, and in about a year, she will have a son. And Sarah denied it. I didn't laugh. Jesus said, you did. What is that? No, I heard you. You laughed. I, I heard you laugh. But he let her laugh. Right? Like, the statements that Jesus makes in this moment to Sarah are so radical, so out there, that any normal human being would also laugh. Um, here, here's, here is how this message was birthed in my life. The third week of my sabbatical, I, I took a sabbatical in uh, July or June and July, and in week three, uh, we had went to the Lake of the Ozarks, me and the kids, and I would come back, and uh, I was sitting outside, uh, in the front yard in one of my um, folding chairs. This is, this is the symbol for folding chair. Um, <laughs> folding chairs, and it's, it rocks. That's why I was doing that. Um, anyway, sorry. Um, and um, I'm sitting under the tree in my front yard, and I'm reading Genesis 17 and 18. And what occurs to me is I'm sitting there, because that's where Abraham was sitting under a tree, right, when he, when he was having this. As I said, I, had, I just kind of put this in my journal. I'm like, Lord, what, what statement could you say to my life that would make me laugh? What, what is the thing that you want to whisper to my life that makes me laugh? And then I got to thinking about it as a context of this church. Like, what is, what is it that God wants to say to Curtis that Curtis and Val would go, yeah, real funny? What does God want to say to Jacques? What does God want to say to Rick and Brenda, to Kim and Chad? Like, what is the thing that God wants to say to Chuck where Chuck would hear it and go, yeah, real funny? Like, what, like what is the thing that God would, when, he, when, he, when you overhear it through the window of your life, you're like, ha, 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 no way, God. You're, you're crazy. I think that's what God wants to say to us. I think, I think that as a church, as a family, as individuals, God is wanting to have a relationship with you and I that is so intimate that he can look at you and he can say, this is what I got for you. And it's so crazy that you, and just in all of your wisdom, go, yeah, God, there's no way. There's no way it's going to happen. That's where we're going. I, I want God to blow your faith up. I want God to increase our faith in such a way that he could whisper anything to any of us at any time. And we go, oh my gosh, okay, I don't know. But what happens step three, right? We follow through with obedience, right? Or step four is we follow through with obedience. And so let's see how this plays out in the story. So Genesis 21, verse 2. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son. Now, before we kind of go right into that scripture, we've got to talk about the obedience here. I'm not going to give you a biology lesson on how to make a baby, okay? You're welcome, right? But here's the thing. After they heard that crazy, funny story that day, you can kind of see Abraham with a big old smile on his face saying, well, you heard what the man said, right? And so, uh, you know, we, we, we got, we, like, there comes a time when God whispers something to you that there's probably an act of faith, of obedience on your part that requires faith and action. And there was something that Abraham and Sarah had to do, being extremely old, to, that they were responsible for, for the promise to happen. And they did that. And so don't think that it's like, hey, God, I was going to whisper something in your life. And that, No, no, this, this is going to require you to say, okay, do I believe that what he is saying is real, that I move toward it? Right? Over and over again, you see these funny stories happening. They did. So Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. At the appointed time, God had told him, verse 5, Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has made me what? Ain't that fun? 
This time she's not laughing out of ain't no way. This time she laughs because out of joy in her heart. And everyone who hears will laugh with me. This is when we know God shows up. When people see what's going on in your life, everybody else laughs too because there ain't no way you did that. The only way that old lady got pregnant, I mean, God's got to be all over that thing. God's got God's to be the one that said it. God's got to be the one that made it come to be. Like there's going to be things in your life that the only way, like if you're hoping that something happens and you become famous and you get your own TV show or you have a thousand, maybe some of you are someone for 10 Twitter followers, like that you just have all of these accolades coming your way. Man, I don't know if that's what God's leading us into. Man, my hope is that God uses this church in such a way in our city that the city is better because we're in it and they have no excuse but to point to who God is. Ain't no way. Everybody else laughs too. Because can you believe that they just, God just used that knucklehead? Can you believe what God did through her, through him, and everyone laughs? That's where we're headed. Now, we're going to, we thought that the way to kind of begin this series would be timely to do communion together, Right? And because communion holds a lot of um, layers of truth. And someone about the band to come on up, and uh, we're going to worship together as we take communion. And if those of you are leaders who are serving communion this morning, if you guys want to go ahead and get to your uh, stations as well, I, I want to begin to uh, lead into communion in this way. Jesus gave us communion as a reminder of the relationship. He gave us a reminder of the relationship. But the communion table is also a fantastic place for repentance to begin. Repentance is not a bad word. Seriously, like, repentance is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful pathway, a beautiful on-ramp that Jesus gives each and every person on planet Earth to be in a relationship with Him. Because it's not like, hey, repent, do 25 push-ups, 10 set-ups, and give a bunch of money and you're good. No, 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 no. Repentance is humbling yourself to God's ways, to God's commands, and aligning your life to His Word. That's what repentance is. Repentance is simply saying, God, I agree that the way I have been thinking, the way I have been moving is in opposition to who you are and what you say I am. Like Curtis talked about his identity. Some of you need to repent on your identity because you've been speaking a lie about who you are when God is trying to scream at you who you truly are in him. And you keep telling God what he can't do because you think you know more about you than God knows about you. And so every time God tries to tell you something, you go, oh, God, there's no way I can do that. I mean, and you just give the whole bullet point list of why you can't do it. You gotta re- Listen, that is poor thinking. This morning before you just come up and grab a piece of bread and grab a cup, it, you might want to start with repentance and saying, Lord, I need to align my thoughts and my words and my heart with who, what you say who I am. Some of us, this, this communion table, it might not be a, 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 the, the first step of repentance this morning. It might be the first step of relationship. Think of this as maybe your first date. You're going to share a meal. It's a small meal. But some of us in this room, we've heard about Jesus. Maybe you had a family member who was firm in their faith, but it's never been your faith. And today the invitation at the table is this. Do you believe that Jesus is the Savior? And do you confess him to be the Lord of your life? And if that's your belief and your confession, and you've, like, you've, you've never said it, you've, you've never went up to someone and said, hey, I've never literally said these words, but today I want to I I confess this. Man, I'm going to stand right here. Is there boldness required here? Absolutely. But if there's, if there's a desire or a need to be bold for anything, let it be for Christ. 
And here's what I would love, man. If you're here today and you've never made that public confession of faith, I'm not going to make you give a public testimony today. I'm going to walk you over to communion and I'm going to serve you your first communion this morning. The first time that as a follower of Jesus that you've taken the bread, which Jesus said is his body that's broken for us. And that each time we should take it or every time we eat it, we're reminded that he did not quit. He did not stop. And then he said in the cup, the cup is to, for you guys to remember, for us as the body of Christ to remember the blood that was shed. All of this stuff that you bring to the table, all of the sins, all of the regrets, all the wish I hadn'ts, all the wish I would have. Jesus covers that with his blood. And you are a new creation because of what Christ did, not because you got to try harder. And so when you come to that table today, we take the bread and we say, God, thank you for not quitting. Thank you for not giving up. Thank you for being our example on how to be human. And thank you for your blood that was shed so that I could live. So that I could be who you've called me to be, not by my effort, but because of who you are. Amen? Repent. Maybe for some, believe, confess for the first time. For others, remember. Would you invite you to stand up with me at this time? I want to pray for you. And then we have four stations, two in the back, two in the front. And let's receive communion as a church family. Jesus, we love you. We lift you high today. We're grateful for you. May you be honored in all that we do. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.